Holly. Hey, Dave. How are you today? I am doing great today. I'm so happy to be on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing tremendously. What? What? You're pointing at me. That's very hard. Are you Are you rocking the paradise? Are, are you, you having pr- any grand illusions? You're prompting me. That's great. I'm in the fight of my life. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a new song from Sticks. We're talking today to Lawrence Gowan, who is the keyboardist and he's, he is the singer. I don't know if they, he writes some of the new songs from uh, Crash of the Crown. I'm, I'm sure he does. Remember Sticks? Sticks. Everybody remembers Sticks. Come on. <laughs> You just mentioned a number of those songs that that we loved. <laughs> that was the pocket right there. I think it was Sticks. I'll, I'll also say Ario Speedwagon. Those were those were the songs that the that the girls liked. And so I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe oh, we I, did. And may, maybe I should pay more attention to these bands because the girls like these. And when we're doing the uh, the couples only skate around, that's what they <laughs> they played Sticks songs and like okay. exactly, Babe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. So should we welcome Lawrence Gowan into the What Difference Does It Make studio? Yes, let's let's welcome him in. Hello, Lawrence Gowan. It's, Hello, how are you? Where in the world is Lawrence Gowan? Good question. Hold on. I'll give you that answer in two seconds. <laughs> Evansville, Indiana. Evansville. <laughs> Did you really not know until you looked at that? I do. He does. <laughs> of course he does. I'll tell you what's really good. I slept on the tour bus last night, you know, because we drove here from Des Moines, Iowa. So that's about 600 miles. And uh, so the cool thing is by sleeping on the on the bus, when I saw that we we're doing a Zoom call, I thought, that's great. I don't have to make the bed look, look any better. <laughs> that's funny because I was about to remark, wow, Lawrence, oh, Lawrence makes his I, own bed. How awesome I mean, is this? This was obviously done by a professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very impressive. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so how was Des Moines? How was the fair? Oh, I love Planet, those summer fairs. I just love them. And and that one is, it's, really, it's up in my top five. It's first of all, it's a wide grandstand. It's like loaded with people. And then there's people on the track and you see Ferris wheels off to this side. And then you see that uh, death defying, you know, bouncing uh, <laughs> over here. So though that kind of bookends the, the overall look and you've got this giant crowd here, but last night in particular, the top of the grandstand all across here would be all these American flags like this, like giant flags. And right in the center was the moon. So from the stage, you're staring up at the moon and, and this, this surreal kind of scene and thousands of people, with giant smiles on their face. It's yeah. like it's it's like it's like a dream scenario, quite honestly. And it's it's amazing how I've I've done it, you know, so long in my life now. And yet I, if if anything, you know, qualifies as, as as being described as magical, it's it's that. For me anyway. That's your field of dreams. That's my field of dreams. <laughs> because yeah. yeah. That was I actually last week. I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but they in Iowa, that's where Kevin yeah, the the White Sox mm-hmm. played the Yankees in the the yeah. field in Iowa, and it was beautiful. Yeah, that's right. And I know it was a it was a big event. I I missed it. I think Tommy saw it though because I heard him talking about it. Uh, so was it two professional teams that played there? Or? Yeah, they played an actual yeah. game in this five thousand seat stadium that they built. That's yeah, well, I love the movie, and I love when movies come to life. So that was good. Yeah. So. As we, we consult our resident Canadian, you are Canadian, so we have to consult <laughs> our friend of the show, J.C. Douglas, about anything. Oh, J.C. Oh, yeah. J.C., yeah, yeah. About yeah. anything. We, can... all, we all know each other in Canada. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. <laughs> so, 
so by the way, I'm on one of these bouncy chairs. So sorry if I keep doing this. Oh, please. <laughs> this, 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 by the way, this is bad Zoom etiquette. It, it, the band would be doing our Zoom calls. Find our lighting director, uh, Libby, would wind up coming on. And she, um, after maybe the third or fourth, she be, she began to school us in how <laughs> To properly light yourself to do I mean, that's why, I, you know, all I have here is this little table lamp that I can use today, but it's, right. it's giving me kind of a little bit of a glow, but, <laughs> but she would definitely, she didn't like the way I would bob around like, uh, you know, like one of those birds that yeah. goes into the water thing. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to try to stop that. So tell me about JCA, so that, our, my fellow Canadian. So that, that's funny because it reminds me of another <laughs> Canadian thing, SCTV, with uh, things that are in 3D when you go back and forth. Oh, it's 3D House of Beef. Yes, thank yes. you. All right. <laughs> well, I'm well versed in Second City, believe me. Oh. I went to the same high, I went to the same high school as John Candy. Yeah, so I'm I'm well versed in Second City. <laughs> yeah. uh, we love it. Well, it's, it was, it was, was it Lin Yi Tang's 3D house? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that you you threw out that character name. <laughs> like Dave yeah. Thomas played. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, you're the best. Okay. And also, JC loves you. He said, I sang harmonies on Guns and God with him when he did it on my afternoon show on Q104 in the late 90s. Q104. So I think he's, is he down east or is he in Calgary? He's in Halifax now. He's in Halifax. Halifax. Halifax is Q104. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's that's not a song that a lot of people bring up. Yeah. <laughs> Guns and God was a song on the, was the last solo record I did prior to joining Styx. I think it was ni- 1996. But I, on that tour, I toured entirely solo. So I must have gone into the station with an acoustic guitar. And, and we, we must have uh, done, a, done a duet on it. And... Um, I don't know whatever happened to that act. <laughs> well, we'll suggest you take it on the road yeah. in your spare time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, good going, JC, and good to hear from you. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he brought up some great stuff. Okay. So he mentioned you sure. recorded in Ringo Starr's studio. I did. Like he lived. Like I looked it up. John Lennon lived there. Ringo yeah. Starr lived there and then recorded there. What What is this place? And and I can tell you. I can tell you. It's great you're bringing that up. That's I can tell you that story. <laughs> In 1984, I, I had signed to Columbia Records uh, in Canada, so CBS, in 1982. And I had my first album came out, and it wasn't a commercial success. Yeah, but it was a strong enough album that, uh, that, that the record company said, we want you to take another shot at it. Yeah. So uh, They gave you, know, you a chance then, back in the day. you can. Uh, they, that's how it was. Well, yeah. there was artist development back then. It might take two or three albums. And they, they had a, a, you know, a, a stable full of acts that, that followed that pattern. It was quite common that uh, your first one didn't necessarily knock, you know, set the world on fire, so to speak. My second record, uh, the, the demos from that, which I made in my parents' basement, <laughs> there was a producer named uh, Dave Tickle, and he had just worked on the Split Ends albums, and he really liked my, my songs. And he said, uh, you know, he was doing live sound for Peter Gabriel at the time, and he was playing my cassette in the car. And he said, how would you feel about coming to England to record the record? And I said, that would be fantastic. I was born in Scotland. I thought I'd get to see my relatives for free. Uh, he said, I've got Jerry Murata and Tony Levin in the car, and they really like this this demo that you sent. Would you like them to play on the record? And that's when I thought, this is absolute. Yeah. This is somebody winding me up. With a very <laughs> convincing English accent, but I, I thought this is a wind-up. So I said, well, yeah, sure. I said, let me speak to Tony. 
And Tony got on the phone, which, by the way, in 1983, that was really unusual that someone had a car phone. Right. Really unusual. Because they were about the size of that bed, one of those pillows. Yeah. <laughs> and so Tony got on the phone, and then Jerry, and he's describing the songs. I thought, maybe this is real, you know? And he said, I've, there's a studio here called Tittenhurst Park, and Ringo Starr lives there. And you know, I'm in the, in the midst of kind of doing some maintenance wiring or rewiring or something. And would you like to record there? He said, it would be okay for us to use the studio. So then I really thought this can't be real, but it, it turned out it was real. And uh, I actually went to that house on the 7th. Of, this is what's really significant to me. The 7th of February, 1984, that is exactly to the day. That is 20 years to the day of the Beatles coming to America. And what struck me as not just bizarre, but so phenomenal is that I remember seeing the Beatles February 9th on on Ed Sullivan and realizing in that moment at seven years of age that whatever this is they're doing, I want to do that. (laughs) Right. And 20 years later to the day, I, I, Ringo met us at the door and basically, you know, we just said, hello, nice to meet you. You're the Canadian. Yes. And he's, you know, Canadian. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck with the album and you know walked me into the studio etc and i realized oh this is tittenhurst park where john lennon made imagine that's who i hadn't that hadn't dawned on me yet because i'd seen photos of him there and i realized this is all the same equipment this is all the same gear and everything and, and plus there's a beetle here <laughs> yeah. so we started the record and the really curious thing is that the kitchen door was basically where this hotel room door is. Now, just that far away, the studio was connected on as part of the main house. So when we would be playing the songs, you know, I would hear his family, you know, he was Barbara Bach, who's still his wife, and, and, and their, some of their kids and uh, various staff people would be in the I, We would hear them in there. And by the time I'd been there a few months, he became he got more and more um, accustomed to coming in and making some really encouraging comments on whatever we were doing, just for a few moments uh, every couple of days. But he particularly liked the, the opening track was called Cosmetics. And he said he came in every time we were working on that one, he seemed to come in more regularly. He goes, we love this one because we're all every time this one starts, we start dancing around in the kitchen. So when we put the record together, I put Cosmetics at the front because I thought if he ever listens to the album again, I wanted to hear that song first. this is you know these songs didn't do I, I, were never released in the united states but they they became um very well-known pieces in uh, in canada that's my tittenhurst park experience yeah did you ever say hey have a seat you know ringo have a 
here's a drum throne yeah. for you. Would you like to sit down? Problem with that was we had Jerry Murata there playing drums. And Jerry is was the drummer of Peter Gabriel. And then later, funny enough, Paul McCartney. He was kind of transitioning in some ways in his life. And I didn't I didn't want to overburden him with either A, hey, would you play drums on my record? Or B, talking to him about the Beatles, which I wanted to do 24 hours a day. Sure. We had a very kind of easy rapport. I, I felt there was a line at that point that, that basically, I think he just wants to be a musician that we just talk to like any other musician. So I kind of assumed that approach. And as a result, I spoke with him frequently and the drum head was in, in a front closet. So I immediately picked it up and got, and got a nice photograph with that. So that was a pretty amazing uh, experience in my life. So you said you grew up in Scotland? I didn't grow up in Scotland. I was born in Glasgow, oh. but I family immigrated. My mom and dad immigrated. I, I'm the eldest when I was just a little kid. No, I, I'm, I'm very much a Canadian. Uh, I grew up in Toronto and I still live in Toronto, but I love when we go back and play in Scotland. I mean, I love that. I get to see my relatives and, and the whole feeling of it. It's funny, about wherever you're born, there's, there's some kind of magnetic pull to that place that is almost indescribable but we are connected to that, that little bit of earth in deep ways okay so you grew up in toronto i think uh, what was it queen street west yeah. right? the music scene there what was what was that like in in the queen 80s? street west was in the early 80s remember I, I played in a very progressive rock band in the late 70s never made an album but we that's what i was doing the video scene of uh, in Canada was um, centered on this station called Much Music, which is was our version of MTV. Or you had to, in some ways, have some kind of an image that that fit with that. And so I kind of moved in that direction and uh, got the appropriate haircut and outfits. You definitely did. And we watched the video for cosmetics this uh, this morning. <laughs> it's a good look. Oh, absolutely. Was it oh, I, okay? I'm glad you feel it was good. Look, I'm I'm quite proud of that Uber mullet that, that I was had. Back then. Yes, we are fans of the mullet, and you had a, a mighty fine one, my friend. You know, if you Google it, I think it's rated number seven of all time. I think I think <laughs> I was only beaten out. I think John Stamos is one ahead of me. Um, Stamos. I think I think, I think uh, MacGyver came in first place but yeah i've heard it called all kinds of names since then the funniest one i heard recently was one friend of mine a british friend he he happened to see one of the old videos for the first time like cosmetics and he said god man that's quite quite the kentucky waterfall you had on there <laughs> oh yeah I think I prefer mullet. No, no, it's got a <laughs> I lot think, of I, You know what? I want to change it to the French pronunciation, the moulet. Very nice. Yeah. Can we adopt that? Yeah. We'll give you four. Because we, we, talk, right. we talk about the mullet a lot on the on, uh, on the podcast. So you do. Well, mine was a moulet because it had that French influence from Quebec. Well, okay. And it's good to know that uh, we're now talking to, to the owner of one of the finest moulets around. I can't believe that you didn't start the whole interview with that. I mean, that, <laughs> that is that. And then recording at the Beatles house. I mean, just, you know, All right. get your priorities. You're right. Together. You're right. Moulet, then Beatles. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What were we thinking? <laughs> All right. Also talking videos, you won a, a Juno Award for Criminal Mind for Best Video. That's like a comic. Are you a comic book fan? Very okay. much so. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. <laughs> you know, these Zoom calls are weird, but I mean, because. <laughs> yes, they are. They're very you know, weird. I'm, I'm, it's sweltering out. So, of course, I'm, I'm wearing a pair of shorts. <laughs> I guess I will I'll leave everyone's uh, 
years uh, at the moment. But because people knew I was such a comic book fan, some of the Six fans years ago gave me these socks, right? Can you see that? Oh, very nice. Those are awesome. Batman socks. Batman socks. Ignore my my knees, but the Batman socks. (laughs) Yeah, and, and when we did the video for A Criminal Mind, we wanted something that kind of harkened back, believe it or not, to that TV series from the 60s. And because A Criminal Mind is a pretty dark song, and we needed something that would make it a little more palatable for television. So I wrote up this little storyboard and the, the director put it together at a great art department. And um, what was really great about that was that one. And I had another song called Strange Animal. In the, the Juno Award is like the Canadian version of the of the Grammy, so to speak. But it was up against some formidable videos that year. There was the Brian Adams and Tina Turner video was up. There was... Um, I think there was a Corey Hart piece and there might have been the other one might have been a Celine Dion piece. It could have been it could have been Celine Dion or it might have been Anne Murray. Those are some powerful Canadians wow. right there. That's what I mean. So and, yeah. and, and they kind of thought that because I had two in the category, Strange Animal and Crim- a Criminal Mind, they thought, well, one will likely cancel out the other. But a Criminal Mind won. And I'm, I'm almost as proud of that as I am of my, uh, my ex, my ex mullet. <laughs> Moulet. 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 <laughs> ex Moulet. mentioned those those names and as americans we know those instantly i'm sure you were knocking on the u.s doors like radio stations yeah so i don't know i i don't know if you have an answer but uh what what was the why couldn't you get what did you see as the obstacle why couldn't you get through the united states i'm sure you toured the united states a lot i did in fact in fact when strange animal went to number one in, in canada it was a triple platinum record i was managed by the same manager that managed rush uh, Ray Daniels. And uh, he, at that point, was getting very frustrated with CBS Records in New York because I was on that label. The, the music industry back then was very much controlled by the four major major labels. And because they they were able to build such empires, and it was that's why it became an industry, it was because they really were the gatekeepers to who gets to be heard in what various territories. So by controlling the market, you can do very well. So, for example, and that's part of the reason why, and I learned this along the way from from executives that taught me I didn't have, you know, I I don't just naturally understand this, but there was a lot of trade-off between British artists and American artists, because if you had Britain, it was a good chance you'd get the whole European market. If you had America, well, you have America, which is really all you need. Canada was in a very difficult spot for that because we're culturally very similar to the American market, but there's enough of a difference that they didn't want to necessarily just bring all these Canadian acts into America because you begin to kind of dilute the market. But I fell into that category, as did a couple of other, many other bands that that did really, really well. And 
proof of that is that you know where where the where we crossed the border for example in buffalo i was in the top 10 you know because it's right across the lake and so they'd get our airplay and then they'd start playing the same type of things Cleveland, Ohio, I wound up getting into the top 20 there just on import records alone, again, because it was close enough that there was an influence there. And as a result of that, I wound up doing, in that year, I, I toured with Tears for Fears throughout the United States, their, their entire tour, always with the, uh, you know, the hopeful expectation that finally they would decide to release my record in, in the U.S., but they had Loverboy. That was enough of their Canadian content at that point. And uh, they really wouldn't, uh, couldn't move the needle, so to speak. So as I say, it's a, that, that's kind of how it worked back then. Now, today, especially when I talk to younger bands and try to explain to them, because worldwide releases, you know, we, we can record a song on our phones together and just it's yeah. out to the whole world like that. Yeah. That was not the case back then. To get your record to cross various borders was really, it was more difficult than, than you, you'd imagine. No, it is an interesting story to hear. And we know, I mean, we, we've been around the record and radio industry long enough and we know how it works, but it's ultimately the people making the decisions, whether to release it or not. Also, as music consumers and avid music consumers, your yeah. music, just everything about you would have been appealing here during that time also and probably would have been huge. Thank you for saying that. And one girl in a, in a very uh, 80s accent said, I saw, you know, I guess she recognized the hair and the big red. In front of it. <laughs> and she said, I saw your video on TV and it was totally rad. <laughs> yep. I thought, oh my God, it's going to break through. And again, you know, in Cleveland, for example, got a great, great ovation because the song had been played on the radio a little bit. So much so that I came back two months later and opened for Foreigner on Foreigner 4 at uh, the Richfield Coliseum. And again, that song, A Criminal Mind, was a standing ovation. And the local CBS rep, I remember when I came off stage, he said to me, I don't understand why they're not putting your record out here. He goes, you look at that response and, and I don't understand it. So it's funny though, because life, it's, it's weird how it doles out the cards to you. Because if that had happened, I don't think I ever would have, well, I'm pretty sure I never would have gotten into sticks because when I opened for sticks in Montreal in 1997, they heard the response from the audience singing along to all these songs they may have been unfamiliar with and a criminal mind, especially, I think that because that was the end of the show. And two years later, when I went to Tommy's house you know, with Tommy Shaw and James Young, and before I even played a stick song, Tommy said, don't play. I prepared crystal ball. And I think comes to the don't, don't play those to play, just play a criminal mind. So I played it, you know, solo in his, house and home studio at the end of it he said yeah let's make that a stick song and so we did we wound up recording several actually live versions of that that are out there on the internet if people want to check it out it's got a smoking jy guitar solo in the middle so in a way i kind of like the way it unfolded in the end because had that been a huge hit in the united states i'd be speaking to you here as as gowan the guy that used to have a mullet instead of lawrence gowan the guy that used to have a mullet that plays in sticks. So. <laughs> All right. We're probably talking too much about Canada, but we will eventually talk about sticks music, I think, maybe a little bit. For now, we're going to take a break and we will return in a second. Short second. Maybe a minute. Maybe a minute. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our guest, Lawrence Gowan. But um, I was going to mention, since you had Russia's manager, the, he wasn't able to pull any any uh, any rush muscle. Rush so, strings. Yeah, to get you. Although I, I did, I mean, I, I think you did get the Alex to, to play on some of your songs. Alex, Alex played on, on my fourth album. Alex Lifeson was the guitarist on, on an album called Lost Brotherhood. Well, I had a, a fantastic parade of, of the progressive rock musicians who I loved on, on my records. So it was Peter Gabriel's band of uh, Tony Levin, Jerry Murata, and David Rhodes on guitar. On the next record, I had John Anderson from Yes join me on a song called Moonlight Desires. That was a number one song. Yeah. We did a video of that, that together on the Mayan pyramids in Mexico. John dressed up as this Aztec god. It's fat. It's great. He's, he's yeah, just phenomenal. And then the following record, Alex Lifeson was on that one. Robert Fripp has played on one of my records oh, you know, from King yeah, Crimson. Yeah. Basically, by the time I come to Sticks, you know, I did have a decent enough pedigree <laughs> of people that I that I had you know been lucky enough to work with. And here we are on Zoom Hollywood Squares. So yeah, right. I saw an interview or read an interview where you had said when you were meeting with with Tommy and uh, James Young that you didn't know that you didn't know they wanted you for the band. Initially, correct. On the phone call, I entirely, my assumption about halfway into the call was that they wanted me to open shows for them in, in the U.S., which I was thrilled at that notion because I thought, finally, I'll get a chance for people to hear some of this music, you know. When, when we did the show together in Montreal, what was great about it was it was just me touring alone on piano that year. Just coincidentally, that's how I was touring the Guns and God year. Because of that, it was, a, it was pretty easy to just bring a piano on stage and then off and then here's the big stick show. So I, I could see that it could work that way. And, and at, the, at the end of the show, Tommy Shaw said to me, we, we, we're going to work together again in future. That was two years before this phone call. So when they called, that, that was my immediate assumption. But then they said that, that no, we need a piano player 
and a singer to tour with us because we've got these shows that we're doing. And uh, would you be interested in doing that? And that kind of threw me back for a second because I thought, I don't know, what, what songs would I be singing in it? You listed off, you know, Grand Illusion and Lady, etc. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I know those, but I didn't know what key they were in. So I, I said, let me call you back. Give me an hour and let me call you back. So I boom, quickly went to this uh, vintage record store and got a copy of Grand Illusion and listened to it and realized that, you know, oh, I've got the same register more or less so I can hit the notes. So I could, when I when they called back about an hour later, I said, I think we, it could work, you know, and they said, well, let's hear our, how our voices blend. So when I went, when I actually went to Tommy's house, I knew they were on the hunt for uh, for someone to do the tour with them. Yeah, they had done their research. They knew you could hit those notes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> and by the way, you, you said in an hour, you went to a record store, you listened to the music, you came. Yeah, to- <laughs> yeah but it's funny you mentioned Queen Street. It was at Queen Street East was where I oh, is that right? put it on. Actually, the album too, by the way. <laughs> and not even a CD, but put the album on and realized, oh, yeah, Grand Illusion. Yeah, I think I can hit those notes. And so that's that's how that's how it kind of began. When did Sticks cross your radar? Was there a particular okay, so song? In, in Canada, because the Sticks were, and, and to my mind, you see, they they were they were the first band to use progressive rock and be successful with it that were not from the UK. There were bands that were trying it and it was falling flat. I'd heard that Sticks had a big hit in Quebec and it was Sweet Madame Blue. And uh, that wasn't played as much in Toronto. But then the next thing I heard was Lorelei. And when I heard the start of Lorelei, I thought, oh, this is a progressive rock band, you know, doing this thing. And that's how I became aware of them. And the next song I remember hearing was the next album when Tommy Shaw joined the band Crystal Ball. And I just thought, these guys have really got something. And But unfortunately, I never got a chance to see them live because I was, by that time, I was playing, you know, I, I played six nights a week for like 51 weeks a year, you know, in, in my own band. And then I was always touring. And so it would only be on the occasional night off that I could go, oh my God, I'm in the same town that Genesis are playing at. Or I'm going to see Elton John here. Or, but I'd never seen Sticks. So when we did the show together in 1997, that was the first time I'd ever seen them. I'd never seen them alive, and I, and I was knocked out with how good they were. I'm in my 23rd year with Sticks, so I'm, I'm around uh, Americans. I think there, there are some Canadian friends of mine who've said you, you're starting to sound a little bit more American. Sticks is from the Midwest, so you can you should uh, get that <laughs> Chicago accent going. The Chicago accent is great. I remember when I first joined the band, one of the funniest phrases that we repeat quite on, quite frequently is after we played our first or second show, the audience response was just great. And I said to JY, do you think this is working out okay? He goes... And he went, he opened his arms up, you know, wider than the screen is going to show you. He goes, I'm extremely confident. 
<laughs> the way he said, so anytime I say the word confident to him, I say confident. confident. I know you're probably confident about this. Anyway, so crushes the crown. Yes. Did you want to say something? No, now I want to talk pizza and let's go to Chicago. We got to talk sausage and pizza. You know what fits great in a pizza box? Okay. So, <laughs> so in a, like a, a, a Lumel Nottis, you know, 12 inch pizza box. Yes. You should know that if this is Chicago pizza, right? Would be the new Sticks album because it's a 12 inch disc called Crash of the Crown. There you go. Look at that. Very good. And does that come in any particular color? Funny enough, I thank you, Holly. <laughs> there, the first run of them that Universal did, uh, Universal Records did uh, clear copies, entirely clear vinyl. You can you can see through it perfectly. It's great. I actually I got one copy off eBay. They're now selling them for like sixty bucks. <laughs> Nice. But anyway, there are clear ones and there are regular black vinyl ones and uh, there are digital ones and there are CD ones. There are no cassette ones yet or no eight track ones, but there. And, and I, speaking of ones, did you know that in the first 10 days the record came out, it reached number one on the Billboard rock album chart. So in, that was in such quick order that I have to say that um, as frustrated as I was with record companies in the past, Universal did a, a phenomenal job of marketing and planning the release of this record to coincide with us being back on tour. And the record itself, you know, I can say with an entirely unbiased opinion is a really strong enough piece that, uh, you know, when we've seen the response from audiences to it, that um, we're very proud of it. I'm very happy to be alive and well and touring for sure yeah alive and well with anything people. else about the album you want to know congratulations <laughs> on that no, yeah. that's, that's huge that's a pretty yeah. big result it, it is you know it's funny holly when we we started on the record we had it pretty well all mapped out all but two songs in 2019 and when the pandemic hit we thought oh well, this pandemic will be over in about six weeks and we'll get back to working on it <laughs> And when we reached into, so March, April, May, June, around June, we thought, oh, this could, uh, this could go on indefinitely. Um, we better take a look at where the record is at. And when we did, it struck us immediately that, wow, a lot of the narrative fits the current situation that we're in. Of the songs, so many of them hint at a theme of renewal, and particularly renewal after a cataclysmic event. So we thought, well, that's kind of prescient. And two new songs came along, as I said, that, that Tommy Shaw and our producer, Willie Vankovich, wrote called Our Wonderful Lives and To Those. And they kind of fit into the, the overall shape of the record. And we decided, as doing Zoom calls, as this became more and more second nature, why don't we try to finish the record off in our remote studios? I've got a great studio in Toronto, and Todd, our Sukerman, our drummer, has got one of the most sophisticated drum rooms anywhere in Austin, Texas. And just like we're conversing right now, it became very natural to where we recorded all our, I was able to use all my vintage keyboards. So an old Steinway and B3 and an old Oberheim synthesizer and even my Mellotron, which I never would have had a chance to do that had we recorded uh, the whole thing in Nashville as, as was the, the plan. And JY and uh, Chuck and Ricky wound up going to Nashville to record their parts as the album continued on the narrative of the song seemed to speak well to what people are going through or were, are still going through we open our shows with the opening track of the record which is called fight of our lives probably relate to that and even the, the song crash of the crown although it's it, it takes a lot of lyrical license you can definitely see that it's a song about um, being able to pivot and transition very quickly and hopefully with a uh, with a positive outcome see the That breeze of real tranquility, devotion. 
songs were written before the pandemic. Yeah. Some of them were written during the pandemic, at least one. All but two. They're all written prior to the pandemic, except two songs. You guys have a lot of confidence in this album because I was looking down the the stick set list. You're playing five songs. Yeah. You know, every show that that's a lot of confidence for, you know, for a band. Yeah. yeah. A band, a band has a a legacy, you know, like sticks, (laughs) you know, that, that people are showing up primarily to hear, you know, the songs from, you know, from the seventies, you know, and, and, and from the eighties that, um, that they're so familiar with. And that is, that is the heart of the show. However, part of the lifeblood of a band is making new music. It's touring and making new music and and connecting with people. The lucky thing on this album is that the songs are very short. All the songs are, although there's 15 songs, it's a 40 minute album, like all albums, you know, roughly that's the amount of time you have. But we we wanted to make it as an album that, that one song easily transitioned into the next into the next to where you were into a new song before you even knew it so for example fight of our lives is less than two minutes long that's the opening of the show but before you know it it transitions into blue collar man so we're we're kind of dovetailing the new stuff with the traditional i have a piece on the record called lost at sea and that is a nice little piece it's only it's only 40 seconds long but that is a nice way to set up come sail away so this is that example. Another great moment in the show is that Tommy Shaw's, this song he does called Sound the Alarm, which is one of my favorite on the record. It very much, to my mind, is a, a bookend to Crystal Ball. And so he plays those two back to back. So Sound the Alarm, which is very much in the moment of people's lives, transitions into Crystal Ball, which of course is that, that great classic piece about uh, what does the future hold. That, that's a beautiful way of, of connecting those two ideas. So we've connected the new ideas to the to the traditional, and that seems to be going over really well. That's that's very smart of, of you. I mean, yeah, just tying together those yeah. things. You put a lot of thought into the set list. Do you guys like gather together? Like, okay, what's how's this how's this our set list going to look in twenty twenty one? How are we going to do this? True democracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. And there's more that goes into that than you think. I remember, I, I, it's funny, in the first five years I was in the band, I would I would get very involved in those in those heavy, heated discussions about, about what's in the show and what's not. Then I began to realize there's so many good choices that it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it, that I, I, liked, I ended up liking being surprised. It was like somebody handing me a menu before we go on stage, but here you go. And I'd be like, oh, that, that sounds good. You know, but with the new stuff, things like... Well, like we, we were initially doing Fight of Our Lives was going into Grand Illusion. That that didn't quite fit together, the, the, the mindset of that, whereas Blue Collar Man, you know, and how that alludes and uplifts the, the common aspirations of, of the common man or woman, you know, basically wanting to uh, have some work in their life that gives them a sense of meaning. That was a great kind of connection between those two pieces. You know, the audience 
you've got to hope because we see masked people and unmasked and and the, the mixture of it. But what's what's great about a rock show is there's such there's such great agreement amongst everyone because they all love that music. And that's the, again, you get to witness the great bonding of music. And quite frankly, even if it is, if it's risky for people to be doing that, there, there are also health benefits. I'm not a doctor, but lifting your spirits is, is one of the, is, is an important factor of life as well. And music does that in a wonderful way. When you've got thousands of people that are all, embracing what this music has done to their lives and how they how they feel connected to it and how it's kind of enriched their time on earth you see great agreement and um, you just witness a, a lot of joy and that's a great way to live it was the same day in another time i felt your I would imagine, actually now, we used to joke like, oh yeah, you could see, you know, parents are taking their kids. Now you're probably seeing grandparents taking their grandkids to stick shows. You know, here's the phenomenal thing that I've witnessed over the last roughly 12 years of being in the band. The first 10 years I was in it, you would see people that that obviously grew up with sticks. Then then suddenly about 12 years ago, I began to notice younger people coming to the shows and they were enamored with the music. Today... Half the audience on any given night can be under 40 years of age, which means they weren't even born when the biggest sticks records came out. The, the classic rock era, the biggest albums of that time, they weren't even born, but they know every, all the lyrics to every stick song and queen song and, you know, Genesis song and rolling stuff. So they, they become so enamored with, with classic rock. It's concurrent with their own lives. They see themselves in these songs. That's why classic rock is uh, is the great musical statement of the last half of the 20th century. It's It has thrived. It is still alive. As I say, that's what I see from the stage are people from 8 to 80 yeah. that have connected with this music. And quite honestly, it, it is the great musical statement of the last half of the 20th century. So, yeah, that's because of streaming. It's free and you could do that. But also we touched, uh, you mentioned South Park. There was a, uh, a nice little mention uh, <laughs> that South Park, a little little tip of the hat to a great song that I'm sure you get mentioned all the time. And I, I just mentioned that Chuck Panazzo and myself, we fully agree that that's the greatest version of Come Sail Away that's ever been sung. <laughs> urban version. Um, yeah, there, there were when I first joined the band, that was when they were starting to get these cultural references, like the movie Big Daddy, for example, was a big thing in 1999 when I joined because it was, you know, the kid, the young kid on the witness stand yeah. says Sticks is the greatest band of all time and the Critics are, are nothing but cynical. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say assholes on this screen, but I just said it. You did. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there there are all kinds of and, it, and like it's been on Freaks and Geeks, Freaks. Scrubs, and Sex in the City. And did you ever uh, see Freaks and Geeks? That was 
one of my of course. Favorite, yeah, yeah. yeah one of my Watch favorite moments was yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I still get heartbreak when this this kid comes up. You know, the the, the main character is like finally yeah. gets up the courage to dance to a slow song, which is "Come Sail Away." And right. by the time they get to the <laughs> the, 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 the floor, the yeah, and then like, oh yeah, no, right. I can't dance close anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's that's, that's just. Right. Yeah, brilliant. This is the thing with progressive rock. You have to really time your your dance moves or anything like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> I would say to anyone out there, if you're if you're gonna ask someone to dance to close to the edge, you know, <laughs> be really careful in your timing as to when you ask them to actually get up. <laughs> so important. Take us a break is another tricky one. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're progressive guys with your you can't just play four four. You have to uh, mix it up a little. That's, well, the great thing about progressive rock is it's adventurous. It's adventurous music. That's what I love about it. Yeah. Um, that's what I love. You know, in, in all genres of music, I love when when something's just not um, you know predictable. And quite honestly, you know, we, we discussed the Beatles a lot. I think they I think they really laid the groundwork for it when they first did like Strawberry Fields Forever and definitely I'm the Walrus. These are songs and A Day in the Life. These are songs that took these unusual turns that, that that opened your mind to like, wow, where are we now? You know, like a dream scenario that uh, that gets more and more exciting. So that's what I like about that. It's expect the unexpected in your music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think we have exemplified that quite well in crash of the ground again, entirely unbiased. <laughs> Perfect. I think we're going to let you no. go now, but yeah. um... I think so. <laughs> Enough, enough pillow talk. Oh, look. <laughs> oh. I've really enjoyed our pillow talk. I, yeah, that's what I'm calling these from now on. Uh, okay. So guys, it was great speaking with you. I hope, um, I hope everyone out there gets a little insight and interest in listening to crash the crown. We're coming to a stick show, you know, mainly staying healthy, both you, Dave and Holly and uh, great talking to you guys. It was such a pleasure. This was so much fun. Thank you for doing it. And Thank you. One day I, we will meet up. We'll have uh, some Tim Hortons and uh, have and talk about your moule. And uh, <laughs> I look forward to that time. Among other things, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just want people to be smart and be safe. Yes, us too. Us too. So we're going to yeah. be using that as a PSA. Be smart, be safe. <laughs> listen to Crash of the Crown. That's, that's it. Yeah. That, that'll, that'll, that'll get you all fixed up all right. right there. All right. That well, may be what your doctor tells you. Guys, it was really fun talking to you. Yeah. I, uh, thank you for sticking with us. Yes. Have no a great problem. show tonight. And uh, we'll thank see you. you further down the road. Cheers. Enjoy. We'll see you up the road. All the best till then. Bye, Holly. Thank Bye, Dave. You too. Bye. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. All right. So we talked Malays. We talked Canada. We talked, of course, Tim Hortons. And we talked a little bit about sticks music. Canadians are fun, right? I love, I love Canadian. Canadians, is that terrible if we generalize? But all the Canadians we know and the Canadians that we've had as guests on, on the podcast, they've been great. Great humor, great taste in music. And there's been some good songs coming out of our, our friends from the North. I mean, we talked sticks, but it was also kind of cool to discover Lawrence Gowan music. I really, as an American, not familiar with Gowan music. Though we should have been. The videos that he shot, which I highly recommend, we can post some, he's had a, a long career and a very successful career in, in Canada and other other territories. It's great. We didn't know about uh, Lawrence Gowan, and now we do. We know more. The album is Crash of the Crown. Get the vinyl, would you? Very good, believe. Dave. And you can check out some outtakes from our chat with Lawrence on our YouTube channel. So just search for What Difference Does It Make podcast. 
and on all of our social media, WDDIM podcast, and you can catch lots of outtakes and other fun stuff. Good advice. New episodes every Friday. Please subscribe. Thank you to Pantheon Podcasts, of which we are a proud member. Indeed we are. So until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.